0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles.
1: Hi, I'm Patty Lepone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to Michael C. Hall. The actor is best known for his work in HBO's Six Feet Under and, especially, Dexter, Showtime's 8 season chronicle of a serial killer with a conscience. But he's been a theater guy all along, with some of his earliest work including gigs in Broadway's Cabaret and Chicago, plus more recent stage outings in shows like Lazarus, the off-Broadway musical inspired by David Bowie and The Man Who Fell to Earth. Now he's back on the boards in the Signature Theater's off-Broadway revival of Tom Payne, Based on Nothing. Will Eno's Beckettian comic tragic monologue that's about nothing and well everything. Hey Michael, thanks for being here. Sure thing. Um, so Tom Payne is a pretty tough play to summarize. How do you describe it to people?
1: How do I describe it to people? Well, I I've struggled to describe it to people. I heard Will describe it the other day uh, oh yeah, in this is a way. We know the playwright. Yeah, in a, in a way that I thought was really, I mean, not surprisingly, but that I thought was great. Um, a guy who um, comes on stage with the goal of presenting the story of his life, but uh, in the midst of presenting it realizes that he's alive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a a difficult thing to describe. I mean, it's... um, well, I feel like we, and by extension you, don't know a whole lot for sure about this guy who's talking. Like, is his name Tom Paine? It's, um, it's, it's, um, it's not clear whether or not that's actually his name. He does at one point say people ask about the name Tom Paine, but that or, could well be the name of the play he's right. presenting or the event that he's emceeing. Right,
0: right. Yeah. And so then how then do you think about creating a character when you have when you only have to go on this sort of quirky, sometimes enigmatic monologue?
1: Um I mean that is uh that is what I have. I really allow the, you know, the the ride that I take with the language to dictate whatever experience I have um, from time to time. I mean, I, I, I don't have a lot of hard and fast rules about who he is. Um, there's something about this piece that lends itself to uh, somewhat liquid interpretation. Does he change night to night? Um, I definitely am am open to the possibility of allowing some new idea if it occurs to me to you know get get sprinkled into the stew of it um, in terms of where he's coming from or what exactly he's up to I think the biggest change is you know it's a room full of about 300 people that for the most part is completely different from night to night we've done it I guess what 17 times now and every time feels um Feels unique. It's uh, and you talk
0: very directly to us. You yeah, really it's not. Us. I'm not.
1: I'm not um, acting out scenes with invisible people in front of an audience. The audience are my are my partner. And did you have to make
0: specific choices about where you are, where, where you, the character you are playing believes he is, and who he's talking to? Is it? Did you even need to? Or did you have to think, okay, well, I'm in this room presenting this situation because...
1: I, yeah, I definitely like have thought uh, a, a good amount about what his assignment might be. Right, um, and who assigned uh, it to him, first. And who might have assigned it. Um, but, you know, I'm reluctant to to say definitively, in part because I wouldn't want to, if someone comes to see it, plant some seed in their mind that may be limited or... or unnecessarily colored their experience of it and also I feel free to just kind of throw whatever that idea might be out the window and and, and play with something else but ultimately I mean again I'm thinking of something I heard Will say but you know if you really could try to break it down and not overthink it you just imagine some invisible gun to your head and your assignment is tell the truth
0: right yeah <laughs> And you sort of return over the course of this sometimes rambling monologue uh to a handful of stories, um, at least one of which is very explicitly about your character, a couple of others you know may or may not be, but mm-hmm. why do you think what is it about those stories that keeps him coming back to them, and why do you think they are they are the, the kind of through lines for this show
1: um, I think he he's he 's focused on yeah two main things, one uh, story from his childhood that has to do with a sort of initial loss of innocence and then um, another story having to do with a relationship that um, ended in hindsight, maybe badly Um, and uh, there's a lot of regret and unresolved feelings surrounding that. So I think he's, he's, he's um I think he goes out to tell the story of his life. He starts with this um, seminal um, loss of innocence event having to do with uh, a dog, his dog.
0: Yeah, it made me want to hug all the dogs I know. Yeah, yeah,
1: I know. It's brutal. And, uh, and then he gets a little lost, and um, in the midst of... Um, Arguably, at least, vamping. He he starts talking about this relationship, and those stories start to sort of intersect right. um, and and talk to one another in a way.
0: This all sounds very serious. We should say also that it's very funny.
1: Like, it's hilarious. It's, it's actually I mean, Will's, never
0: stops being funny.
1: No, it's hilarious. Uh, Will's Will's, um, you know, he he isn't sort of by turns funny and serious and absurd and profound. He manages to be like all those things at the same time, like in the, same, in the space of one sentence, all those things can coexist. It's a part of his brilliance. Right. The, uh, some very specific choices were
0: made about the set for the show as well. Yeah. Um, you sort of walk in and a friend of mine was convinced this theater was under renovation, which I mean, I was mostly not convinced of that because I knew how new that because I know how no, new that theater is. And right. I thought, no, no, this is a choice. But there was like there was even the like little hastily scrawled sign that said "Pardon our Pardon, Pardon our dust" or whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What? Can you tell me a little bit about how the how that choice was made and what that?
1: No, no to it's no choice. It's it's totally. Uh, um, <clears throat> You know, I am as I'm sure you can imagine reluctant to speak too specifically about the design elements in as much as they do or don't exist. But um <laughs> you know, I think I think that uh the that Will and Oliver Butler our director um wanted to uh, I think the the general sense is that Tom has has this is a one night only thing. He's 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 uh, rented out the the place. It's in a space of transition between productions. You can see sort of remnants of other productions, um, but it's a very bare and somewhat damaged space. There's water damage on one side of the stage. There's a hole There's on another. Definitely side a giant hole in the floor. There's definitely a giant hole in the floor. But I think I think. The the set design, the sound design, I think um, endeavor not to be explicit, but more subliminal in how they inform inform the the audience's experience and how they support the piece,
0: which is kind of how the piece operates as well. I, yeah, I would think. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's a triple e a, a triple subliminal <laughs> affair.
0: And you had worked with the playwright Will Eno before uh, mm-hmm. in, on, in a 2014 play on Broadway called The Realistic Joneses, or rather that was on Broadway in 2014 with yeah. uh, Tony Collette and Tracy Letts and Marissa Tomei. Yep. Um, what was it about his writing that you responded to? And the-
1: Everything. I mean, I, I, uh, I was sent that play. I was still in Los Angeles at the time, um, and uh, within a couple pages, I was just so completely taken with you know what I just described, you know, there's something so singular uh, about the way he writes and the words he puts in people's mouths and how people express themselves. But at the same time, something so delicious and relatable, it's... it's. Um, it's it's his own um, sort of theatrical language, and I just I, I don't know my my uh, my girlfriend at the time she's now my wife but she she read it and she was like this is like this was written for you this is how you this is how I often experience you constructing thoughts you know maybe not as artfully or concisely as Will does in his plays but there was some sort of um, inherent affinity I had for his language um, from the beginning. And you first read the player, and now when
0: you were working on Realistic Joneses, you mentioned uh, that that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, Will
1: will uh, just slipped me a copy one day, and um, he didn't really because he didn't really say he just hmm. he just you know I guess he just invited me to read it, and I read it, and um, you know I told him I thought it was it was incredible. Um, there wasn't any sort of explicit. Desire stated at least to to do it one day but I think we both kind of understood that maybe someday it would work out that right. I could do it.
0: Yeah, and so the first time around this show was in um, this was in 2005 it was at the DR2 which is this teeny tiny theater it's like, you know 99 seats, tops yeah. and uh, the signature space that you're in now is the biggest one. And it's also, just in addition to the additional seats, it's very spacious. Like, it's got this big aisle, and it's got that... How How does that influence the size of the crowd and the size of the auditorium? How does that influence how you interact with the piece and with um, us?
1: I mean, my experience of the piece begins and ends with that space, mm-hmm. so I don't really have uh, another space to compare it to. I do find that, you know, while it is... Um, an airy space. I mean, it's not a huge house, but it feels substantial, and um, it feels like there's a lot of space, like you're not packed in there. But um, it, at the same time, feels completely intimate. I don't I don't feel like... Um, I mean, I would say people sitting in the front few rows versus people sitting in the last few are having a somewhat different experience of the piece, but not completely divergent. You know, and I feel um yeah, I feel able to hold the room um, it would be interesting, you know, when we were rehearsing it because my scene partner is an audience, um pretty early on, we had people to start coming in, so in the rehearsal hall, I would do it for like you know twenty people mm. um so and and the experience of doing it there in the rehearsal hall to going into the theater has not been as sort of. Big of a shift as I thought it might be,
0: right? And you have been in theater quite regularly, and particularly in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in general, you've always sort of made it a point to come back to theater, even when you know you were doing regular TV shows like Six Feet Under and Dexter. Right. What, why is that? What brings you back?
1: Um, I, you know, it's. I mean, originally I wasn't coming back to the theater; I was just in the theater. Right. <laughs> well, right. Where, yeah. I guess you can only come back if that's where you start. <laughs> but um. It's, yeah, it's, it's you know, my first experience is, like, probably the vast majority of actors um, performing uh, were on stage. I've always loved the intimacy and immediacy of um, live performance, and, um, yeah, I love it. Do you have a sense of how your theater
0: training and your work in the theater has influenced the way you approach screen work?
1: Um, You know, I can't really compare my experience to anyone else's um, in as much as, you know, my experience is the only one I've had. But I do think that if you start out working on stage, then you maybe think about playing scenes or you think about a a broader journey rather than just moments. Um, It's just a way that you're sort of conditioned to think, Um, which... You know, if you're if you're making a film or or an episodic television thing, you you're sort of constructing a performance on the fly right. as you do it out of out of order, kind of beat by beat. You know? Yeah, but I I don't know. I think I think I do kind of keep that sense of 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 uh, an arc of a performance in mind. To some degree. I mean, you kind of surrender to that as right. well. Um, probably the more you trust your director, the more you can fully surrender to right. it.
0: Yeah, It's interesting that Dexter was in many ways, it feels like kind of the anti... Because he's so, he was such an internal character, he's kind of yeah. the opposite of a theatrical character, right? Like yeah. A,
1: yeah, it would be out. hard to uh, do the stage version. Of right, right. No, it would be a musical
0: to have a lot of yeah. sort of internal monologues on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite experiences on stage?
1: I'm really enjoying this right now. Yeah. It's totally uh, unique in my experience. Well, maybe not totally. I guess Hedwig was um, yeah. a monologue. Which you were in, in 2014, 20... right yeah. That yeah. sounds yeah. about right. And um, <clears throat> Hedwig was really fun. rock and roll fantasy. Um, yeah. playing the MC in cabaret was amazing way back when, you know, people um, can
0: forget that you're a musical actor. I feel like despite the fact that you're always in musicals, uh, sometimes, well, not always, I mean, not, but like pretty regularly. <laughs> well, I've I mean, done, like, um,
1: I've done, yeah, cabaret, uh, Chicago, Chicago, yeah. Hedwig, Lazarus. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, understand that most people's exposure to me is through the TV shows I've done. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I've done quite a bit of singing. I always I sang when I was a kid. I was in a yeah. boys' choir. So as far back as, you know, when I was a first soprano, I've been singing.
0: All right. And you've been in a... a you mentioned a handful of revivals, and you were also in this show, uh, Lazarus, that was inspired by David Bowie and The Man Who Fell to Earth, which was uh, a new project and also, you know, not traditional as uh, yeah. as musicals go, right? Yeah. Is that the kind of new work you tend to be drawn to do you think or would you ever want to be in a sort of more traditional razzle dazzle create a role in a more traditional razzle dazzle new musical
1: um <clears throat> i wouldn't rule out the possibility of of a more traditional i mean if it's a traditional musical i don't know that it would be a new musical or if it's a new musical that that seems like a traditional musical i don't know that it would be that interesting right uh but but yeah i guess i do gravitate towards towards things that are maybe um I don't know if they're left of center. But just, <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I, I I gravitate toward what I gravitate to. I don't yeah. have like some sort of um, guidelines right. written down that I that I that I make sure things either fulfill or don't. Um, but um, but yeah, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of anything. I mean, I've certainly done things all the all the best things I've done are the things that I couldn't have imagined having done right. uh, before they materialized. So. Yeah.
0: Your most recent TV outing, or at least the most recent that's come out for us, was in uh, Safe, which was filmed in the UK and it was a co-production with Netflix and Canal Plus, right? <laughs> like, it was this, like, funny kind of intersection of all these kind of international,
1: uh,
0: you know, and you were playing a British man yourself in the show. How'd that all come about?
1: Well, I was doing Lazarus, uh, the Bowie musical in London. London, I was really enjoying being in the UK. I had a sort of ongoing kind of casual relationship with an agent who I knew in London and I had lunch with him and told him how much I loved being there and asked if he knew of any other opportunities in that part of the world and one of the meetings I had was with Nicholas Schindler, the producer, and Harlan Coben, yeah, uh, who uh, whose story it was, right? Um, and it originally was Netflix wasn't involved. There was another network involved, and then they fell out, and then Netflix came along and and um, scooped us up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just you know I was interested in in immersing myself into uh, on in a in a set uh that was that was foreign you know playing an englishman was fun it was sort of turning tables on the trend of british and otherwise foreign actors playing americans um and um yeah i i and and i and i i relished the chance to play like a a regular guy right <laughs> and there was an yeah. it was a it was a commitment that had a definitive end and yeah, I was gonna
0: say that's it's the that's it for that show right there is no yeah.
1: second season yeah yeah yeah, right. <laughs> yeah his other daughter right. going yeah, to exactly missing. yeah no no it's <laughs> over uh, right
0: yeah and so you mentioned you were in London working on Lazarus you worked with uh, the director Eva Vanhova, who mm-hmm. um, is you know something of a hotshot director on <clears> both sides of the Atlantic yes yes both, you know, much praised and also highly controversial for some people in terms of what he does and how he approaches uh, mm-hmm. theater.
1: What's he like to work with? He's great, you know. I, I, I guess because of his pedigree or um, the, the the nature of his productions, I, I thought he would be more <clears throat> exacting um, or or sort of uh, more of an authoritarian in mm-hmm. terms of how he dealt with performers and what he wanted but he actually as much as any director i've ever worked with leaves so much to his actors and um and gives them so much agency over over what they're up to um and he really loves actors and and um so and and with lazarus i mean it was such a abstract piece um we just you show up and uh there's no table work you know you just uh, you're you're wise to be off book because you just start at the beginning and start staging the play and there's no you know in the case of that show it was all just like here we are in this kind of abstract empty space with this abstract piece what are we going to do and he there were times where he literally just deferred to everyone else and i don't know what to do here does anyone have any ideas (laughs) and um and I, as I think is common with his his stuff, you know we didn't really stage the end until a day or two before the first performance, right. and I think he likes to um, put his actors in a situation where they 're somewhat on edge, um, and I, there's something to be said for it
0: right right. Yeah. <clears throat> As I was looking back at, uh, you know, all the roles you've played, I I noticed that you've never been af- afraid to play queer roles, you were in Hedwig, as you mentioned, but mm-hmm. I, I was thinking that back in, you know, 2000, 2001, whenever you were sort of get, just getting started with Six Feet Under, like, was that a, did that feel different at all to sort of, because you were just really starting out uh, back yeah. then, particularly in TV, right. was that a thing that people approached back then with a different sense of trepidation as sort of, oh, you're biggest role to date is is this gay man who like did, was there some sort of uh or were you worried about there yeah, being some sort of stigma to that or
1: um i wasn't really worried i was but i wasn't you know i was aware mm-hmm. that right. that the first uh thing i'd done of or would have done of any significance on screen would be playing a gay character and that i would be associated with that role right. um but it was the best role I would read, uh, whether a theater script, a film script, a TV script, even a, a play that had already, you know, some old chestnut. I mean, it was incredible. So, yeah. you know, I I didn't really, it didn't really give me pause. And I didn't take the part in spite of the fact that he was gay. But right. because he was gay, the fact that he was gay and his relationship to his sexuality was such a fundamental part of what made him a great character and his inherent dramatic conflict, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like the writing was on the wall. Yeah. Maybe in 1985, it would have been a little more of a, well, first of all, the character wouldn't have been drawn that way or presented at all. But yeah, I wasn't really, I was more just like aware that the character was unique in the television and, and, broader landscape and i just wanted to get it right right
0: and now you as i understand it you initially came to alan ball's attention through sam mendes who you worked with on cabaret is that right
1: i i think somewhere in the midst of the audition process there were like two auditions in new york and then a final sort of first screen test idea yeah yeah, and and i think at some point during that process he might have compared notes with sam i don't know if uh, sam and alan worked together on american beauty by the way Yeah. and it all was kind of coincided yeah um it was around that time um but yeah whatever conversation did have i guess um he didn't try to talk him out of it (laughs) (laughs) or if he did it didn't work right
0: right yeah (laughs) And because this is the age of reboots, I have to ask you: Is there any talk of a Dexter reboot?
1: But I mean, people are always telling me about the talk We're, of a Dexter reboot. But, but people on you, the street, yeah. <laughs> um, people, people, just like, um, yeah. Um, you know, there have been there have been sort of little little percolations, uh, but nothing that's sort of felt worth pursuing, mm-hmm. but. I, you know, Would I, you
0: even be interested in something like that?
1: Theoretically, yeah. if 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 the if the writing took it somewhere um, that felt compelling and felt new and yet honored where it had been, but I don't know. I mean, it's an it's an amazing world, and he's not dead, so it's right. a possibility. But I don't have any. Um, right immediate definitive plans yeah. to do any of that what
0: about six feet under for a reunion or anything like <laughs> that? Or? well that'd be tricky because yeah that's that's a solid point yeah yeah
1: well, but but you know you could but no do i it. don't yeah. think that would i don't think that's going to happen but if if somehow all those people wanted to get back together i would definitely <laughs> be into that it would be such a trip
0: right right yeah when you were starring in Dexter, you underwent treatment for a form of Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, uh-huh. and do you find that that experience changed the way you think about the projects you do or the work you choose? Or
1: mm. probably, yeah. you know, I, 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 or I, even
0: your reaction to this play, for instance, to Tom Payne. Yeah,
1: instance. I mean, I think, I think that experience i was not uh i was i was very much in touch with the reality uh that I was a mortal human being before I got cancer um and
0: because you were playing dexter or because, no because <laughs> yeah. because
1: i'm a human being yeah. who will die right. um but but um I do think that that experience and and a lot of the sort of um fruits of that experience i think uh, have Manifested almost retroactively. You know, when I was going through the treatment, I was very much living just day to day, and and you know, just focused on doing what I needed to do to to get through it. Uh, and you know, it's only since then that I think I've maybe taken a wider view of it. Um, I think it made me more more grateful more aware of how precious one's health is um and and yeah more more inclined to do the things that that turn me on and that i want to do um without being at least primarily focused with you know the right career moves and all that Um, but i think i already kind of had that approach so You know, it's in some parallel universe. I never, I never had it, and uh, I don't know what I'm doing instead of what I'm doing presently. As a result, I can't say. But
0: Uh, speaking of career moves, do you know what's next for you after Tom Payne?
1: I don't know for sure. There's, um, you know, there's some, um, there's a couple independent films that I, you know, those are the kind of things that I only believe are going to happen when I show up on set. Sure. Or actually, when they actually are yeah. shown, yeah. Um, so you know, I, I'm not. But but the, the, those things might happen in the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I'm not. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Would you be interested in going back to series television, sort of ongoing series television? Sure. As before? Yeah. yeah. I,
1: I mean, you know, it would have to be. I I have a sense of what that open ended commitment can entail, so I would want it to be something that felt like it had the possibility for, for real development and evolution, but I mean, I mean, I think an actor would be crazy to forsake the television world at this juncture.
0: Right, yeah. Are there any stage roles you are dying to play? Um, Musical or
1: play? No. No, I mean, I, you know, there are certainly great roles that I would that I would, um, but but there's nothing. I, I there's not there's no part that I feel like I won't be complete if I don't right. do. Um,
0: do you remember the role or the theater piece that made you sit up and think, "Oh, I want to do
1: that"? Um, yeah, I went to see a. Uh, uh, community theater production of a musical adaptation of a christmas carol when i was like five maybe okay. yeah where was uh, this it was at the theater in the park in raleigh north carolina it's a production that i that i actually appeared in as like a teenager Ooh, excellent. um it's an ongoing yeah. it's like a raleigh tradition this guy ira david wood who um who played the title role and wrote it and directed it. Um, I went and saw it and this was probably very early on in, in the life of that show that, that goes on but I thought it was amazing and you know, I was five years old I went with my dad and I discovered when the show was over that the guy who played Scrooge was actually only tw- like 21 years old uh-huh. and I thought that was the most fantastic trick I'd, I'd ever you know maybe if I you know been older and and knew about prosthetics and age makeup i would have i would have been on to him but as a five-year-old with my disbelief completely suspended i thought i was you know looking at this d- decrepit old lunatic and uh <laughs> and i i i think yeah i think that was that was the 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 first seed of like wow that's magic right yeah
0: and so, you don't know what it is that's going to get you back to the stage, but something will get you back, we know, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we look forward to it, whatever it is. All right. Thanks, Thank Michael. You. Yeah. Sure thing. That was Michael C. Hall, now starring at off Broadway Signature Center in Tom Paine, based on nothing. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. On the next StageCraft, I talk to Joan Allen, the stage and screen actress now on Broadway in the starry revival of Kenneth Lonergan's The Waverly Gallery. Until then, thanks for listening, and see you at the theater.